Welcome to The Opportunity Gap, a podcast for families of kids of color who learn and think differently. We explore issues of privilege, race, and identity, and our goal is to help you advocate for your child. I'm Julian Saavedra. And I'm Marissa Wallace. Julian and I worked together for years as teachers in a public charter school in Philadelphia, where we saw opportunity gaps firsthand. And we're both parents of kids of color, so this is personal to us. Welcome back, everybody, to The Opportunity Gap. And we're we're excited to be here because we want to bring up some things that are happening right now. The number one thing that's on the top of a lot of our minds, as I'm sure it is for you all, too, is Omicron. You may know this, or like me, I still need to learn more of the science. What is Omicron? So Omicron is one of the many variants from COVID-19. And a lot of health organizations are really worried about this variant because it's more contagious than some of the others. It is going wild in schools, spreading faster than anything else. It's been something that all of us as parents, as educators, as people living in this country are dealing with on an extreme level. And Marissa, what's what's, what's going on? How's, how's things? Happy New Year. But in general, how are these times hitting you all in your family it's i mean it's been a whirlwind right like i feel like if you would have said hey like what do you think life is going to be like in january of 2022 after coming back from break i don't think i would have anticipated this and especially now that i get to also right. be a parent not just an educator but having lincoln in school it's like kind of you know there's two different experiences going on I felt very optimistic at the beginning of the school year. And right now I'm just, I'm kind of feeling exhausted and defeated. And I feel like that might be how a lot of families and students are feeling. Like, yeah, I was very thankful for a nice week and a half break and enjoying the holidays with family and kind of taking a, a, a opportunity to just spend some quality time. However, I felt like my anxiety started to skyrocket <laughs> and like the Sunday scaries were like, insane. I, I don't think I slept actually Sunday into Monday at all, just trying to figure out what school was going to be like. And I mean, I know I have a unique situation since I'm teaching virtually, but even still, like it does this, the, the pandemic continues to impact us because our numbers and our enrollment continues to rise. And so we're experiencing like a different type of issue, but then also sending my son back to in person. I'm st- I'm not going to lie. I don't even care. Like whatever, I'm, I'm ignoring that the pandemic exists. And then other days I can't stop thinking about it. I'm sure every mom out there is thinking the same thing. Like you, you turn on the news and you see that cases are rising and depending on where you are and, you know, what your own safety precautions are, some think that it's okay to send their kids back to school. Some are worried that they won't have that option. And I mean, let's let's keep it real. If, if you celebrate Christmas, Christmas in itself is intense. I have two little kids. You have a, a younger kid and, you know, moms and dads out there that are, are doing the whole holiday thing. I mean, I'm I'm into it, but I'm tired after executing that. It's a lot, right? So you have that. Then you have an entire week off, which is a fortunate blessing for us. But it's also a week off with, with kids in the house. And then on top of that, now we're going back and forth between whether or not kids are going back to school or whether they're staying in the house, figuring out work, figuring out childcare, if, if that's something you need. 
it's really, really difficult for all of us. And I think for us, like we had a really relaxing break. However, Lincoln was sick most of break. And of course, it's like this is not the time to be sick because you don't know what it is. And that in itself as this whole other layer, because someone asked me, they're like, if this wasn't him having this cough and not feeling well during a different time, you know, prior to the pandemic, like, would you have handled your break the way you did, which essentially looked like us quarantining the first four days after Christmas because we were, like, convinced he had COVID, you know? And even though he's, like, running around the house and, like, hey, like, when are we going to do something fun? And I'm, like, oh, we're not. (laughs) Like, we're going to wait till we get your results. They're, like, would you have done that? And, I mean, thankfully, he was negative, but we really did quarantine because I was like, well, I don't want to be that person that goes out because my thought was like, if I do take him out and he coughs in public, we all know what that's like. <laughs> you I know? know, a cough, <laughs> a like, runny oh, nose, right? uh, uh, you know, any of those symptoms, it's already a, a little bit of a shock to right. the system. And those used to just be, you know, keep it normal yeah, December, right. January thing, right? Yes, and keep it moving. And then I will say the sad part too was like he did end up having an ear infection. And because they were only, his like doctor was only focused on COVID, it was like as soon as we got the negative results, it was like, okay, cool, like you're fine. Like, and I understand that health professionals are overwhelmed, but it was like I couldn't then get him in to be seen to get like antibiotics. But instead I had to like tell my kid like, I'm sorry, but like the best I can do is a telehealth appointment in like two days when like you're not even going to be experiencing these symptoms anymore let's let's think about even the lack of test i mean i'm sure everybody's talked about that but i mean the fact that it was so hard to get the test i mean and you know the rapid test versus pcr test was a thing and you know my wife had me searching all over the city of Philadelphia and the suburbs. My mother-in-law was searching. My mom was searching. The saddest part is my babies are are so used to taking this test and it becomes a celebration when it comes back negative. Like we used, they, they like start getting hyped up. Yeah, I'm negative, dad. Lincoln told Woo-hoo. me it was the best day of his life. When I told him on Thursday morning, I was like, bud, you don't have COVID. He's like, this is the best day of my life. And I'm like, oh my God. And like, we laugh, but like, what? I know we're laughing, but it's like that, that is some serious depth to think that like our children are so like one immune to like, this is the process, right? Like this is their life. Like they're like, oh, like I get a cough, I get tested for COVID and then I get super excited and it's the best day of my life when I find out that I can go back into the world and see my friends again because I got a negative test. As we kind of dive in and continue to talk about this, I think for our listeners, it's important to have them hear that like every family, every situation, every child you know, you have to kind of factor in all the things going on and make choices that are best for your family. I do think our school district is leaning towards going virtual only because of similar scenarios as what's happening in Philly. Like our our ability to keep staffing in the building is a problem. And then because of the cases, like I know every day this week, Lincoln's come home with his laptop, which that's new. That wasn't happening until this week. We have our own specific viewpoint because of the region that we're in. But I know that across the country, you know, things are happening in different ways. And so our producer, Andrew, he's always doing some research for us just to to help us get some data behind all the talk. Because, you know, what we deal with and see here in this state may not reflect what's happening everywhere else. Andrew, what do you got for us? You all are in Pennsylvania. So when we talked about this earlier this week, we sort of talked about, 
you know, asking around the country what's happening. And obviously, we can read news articles, but they aren't always what's happening with people on the ground. So I reached out to over over half a dozen teachers, a half dozen parents, and we have a big network I understood. And I the, the thing that I think I took away the most from the conversations and emails that I had with people was that things are all over the place. I mean, you know, remember Kareem, our guy Kareem, who was on the show a little while ago, reached out to him there in person in Arizona, but other teachers and other systems are virtual. So each place is sort of having this Omicron thing hit differently. The one thing I think I can say just from what people wrote back to me is that there's sort of different types of situations. There's one where you're going virtual, right? So that's me in New Jersey. We're virtual. Then there's the one where, you know, you remain in person without much of any kind of mitigation or anything. I've got a parent friend in Tennessee. They were only uh, virtual for three months in even when the, the the pandemic first started. So they're not doing anything, at least in his district. Then, you know, Kareem's district and some other districts with teachers we we sort of reached out to. They're they're remaining in person, but with more testing, other measures, keeping the kids apart at lunch, which creates its own issues. And then actually the fourth sort of situation that has sort of come up was that things are closed because of staff shortages. They wanted to stay, you know, with in-person learning, but they just weren't able to because there's not enough teachers. So that's another situation. You know, we had one of uh, my colleagues here, actually, they sent their child to school in Brooklyn and only about a third of the kids were there. And then the next day, there was an email sent out. They don't know if they can hold the class because there's not enough teachers necessarily to teach the classes. So yeah, it's 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 all over the place. So the one thing that I think was interesting and good that I got back from, from some of the teachers and people around the country, schools did seem better prepared on the special education side to sort of deal with a possible virtual situation. You know, when the pandemic first hit, it was like, I don't know. But I think now it just seems like from the parents of kids with, you know, learning and thinking differences who have some special education services, it seems like they they feel more comfortable that there's already a reach out that they're going to figure out where the services are going. So, yeah, I mean, change is the only constant, I guess, right now, but it's it's really all over the place. Thank you, Andrew. That's that's really helpful to kind of hear the scope of the entire United States, right? Because it is different depending upon where where you are. And I also appreciate the fact that you've heard some positives as far as special education. I'm thankful for my current placement in my current school because they've been in the business of virtual learning for over 20 years. And so for them, they didn't miss a beat when the pandemic happened. They were like, we got this because like this is what we do. And so it is possible, right? So like virtual learning is possible. Like it is possible to provide a high quality educational experience for your children, and especially for those with learning and thinking differences. And I've found, because I don't think anything in education is ever easy, but I think that I have more effective ways in which I can support and help students with learning and thinking differences in my platform. And especially because like, we're not concerned or worried about the pandemic, right? Like the safety piece, like no one's coming to my classes each day and like, oh my gosh, like this kid just breathed on me or they're not wearing a mask. Like those aren't happening. It's like they come to our sessions and we're just learning. Like we do counseling online. We do occupational therapy online. So like, it's just a matter of figuring out how to do that. Because remember at the end of the day, like if your student is mandated to receive services, it does not matter. Like those services have to happen. Otherwise they're not, documents not in compliance and they're not being, you know, provided what they rightfully deserve under the law. So I think that's an important piece. That's not to say, though, that 
I didn't hear a lot of anger. Anger for different reasons. People are upset. So it was a good thing that I think that the, you know, that I got, did hear that, oh, they seem to be a little bit better prepared for the the special education implications or special education services, but definitely like people are still pretty pissed off. Well, I mean, you know, we also are hosting the Opportunity Gap and everything you said is definitely true. For a lot of people, virtual learning is a godsend. And for students with learning and thinking differences, in a lot of cases, it's working fantastic. In many cases, even better than it was in brick and mortar. But I would be remiss to not bring up the fact that this virtual situation and the back and forth between being in school and out of school is seriously impacting people who do not have means, people who do not have uh, the finances to maintain stable childcare, you know, and, and I think about everything we just talked about with our own kids, it was screaming privilege and privilege from a financial standpoint, like we are privileged to be in a position where we have somebody to stay home with kids when it comes out of nowhere, you know, from from an educational standpoint, I teach in one of one of the areas of the country that that has one of the highest poverty rates of big cities in the nation. And a vast majority of our students come from very underprivileged situations. And I know for a fact that when virtual situations happen at the drop of a hat, people have to scramble to figure out what they're going to do with their kids. We don't have the opportunity to sit home and work from home. Like a lot of folks don't have jobs where you can just say, all right, I'm going to switch to virtual like we do. And it's a struggle for a, a lot of families, especially families of younger kids. But I'm thinking even of, of from a high school standpoint, you know, a lot of our students are going home to situations that are less than ideal. School for many people is a safe place. It's warm. It provides safety. It provides food. It provides people that are there to support. And without that or the lack of that, even though, like you said, all those virtual things are great, basic needs are not met for thousands, millions of kids across the country when we switch to virtual. And I, you know, I, I have to add that piece too, Julian. I'm glad you pulled that out because it is a unique opportunity because all those positives can only work well when there are opportunities for families to be involved, right? Like you, like that is the challenge of virtual learning is it's like you can't just have a third or fourth grader like by themselves in their home doing all the things, right? There has to be an adult there that's responsible and invested as well for virtual learning to help. So I think you're absolutely right. That is one of the biggest challenges is the the dynamic or the makeup of the of the family and what their access looks like is going to make or break their experience. And so you're you're right. Like there's a lot of things that that aren't in place for all of our students out there that makes it even more challenging if they are thrown into a virtual environment with that, without that being a choice. You know what I mean? If that's not what they're choosing, then how do you navigate that? I was in a, a meeting today. I had one of my students come in. You know, she and I check in pretty regularly, and she was telling me how I was going to be upset at her. And I was like, well, why? Why, why am I going to be mad at you? She's like, well, 
I did something that I know you'd be disappointed in. I was like, what's that? I ran away during Christmas break because the situation wasn't so good at home. And I ran away for a couple of weeks. Um, you know, I'm back home now, but I'm nervous about if we're going virtual again. And I was like, well, why is that? She was like, because I don't want to go back to the situation I was in. <sighs> and, you know, so she's telling me this. And obviously we go through the proper channels and we we get the support that's needed. But this is one that just chose to open up and say this to me. How many other, how many kids are in those situations where being home for that extended amount of time is not a vacation? And, and it causes even more stress and more situations. But at the same token, they're going into schools that are understaffed. They're going into schools that don't necessarily have all the resources. You know, it's, it's a fight right now to get substitutes. It's a fight to even get proper cleaning and PPE and transportation and just all the basic things that we need schools to, to run with just because of the lack of staffing and just the, the amount of people that are out or having to quarantine or testing positive, you know, so it's, it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. I was just thinking that, yeah, I, there's no, there's no guarantee. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no guarantee that students and families needs are going to be met if they decide if his child is in person. And there's also no guarantee that a student or child's needs are going to be met if they're virtual. Like, and I think that's the, I think that's what makes this time period right now extra intense because it, it isn't, it isn't like a clear cut decision, you know, like it, it's really got to be. And that's what I'm saying. Like we can't throw shade or be upset or whatever because, or pass judgment. Cause it really is like almost survival mode, right? Like you got to do what's going to make sense now for your current situation and at the end of the day, I'm still, I'm going to forever remain optimistic and hopeful that we come out of this just really thinking about, one, like education in a, as a whole hasn't changed enough in the United States over time. So I think we have to think about how we approach education and how we differentiate more and how we meet all students' needs regardless of whether it's virtual or in person. But I also think like this is like a, there's like a bigger meaning to this, you know? It's really about thinking strategically about how we can best support those that need the support. And, you know, when I'm thinking about my own role and, you know, your role and other educators' role in supporting students who have learning and thinking differences across the board, there's a lot of things that we need to figure out in how to support them in a situation where there is so much unexpected change. Like we don't have structure. We don't have a guarantee that we're going to be in school. We don't have a guarantee that the teachers that they're normally with are going to be there. We don't have a guarantee that the programming that they're normally used to having is going to be the same from day to day. And so it's really about thinking proactively. How do we set things up? so that we can be prepared for change. And so when I think about that, from a parental standpoint with my own kids, from principal standpoint as an educational leader, the word structure is really what comes to mind. How do we create as much structure as possible in an unstructured world? How do we make sure that there's stability or consistency for our students, especially our kids with learning and thinking differences. 
you know, structure and, and consistency are really what they thrive on. And, you know, I, I know for, for my own kids, I'm really excited for their teachers, even though they've been home all week, the teachers have made sure to check in with them day to day through Google Classroom. They'll they'll send little notes or respond to their notes on Google Classroom. And, you know, for my second grade son, like he's so excited every time his teacher reaches back to him. Even though he's not in school with her personally, the fact that she takes the time to reach out to him every single day and respond to what he says and gives him feedback on his work and make sure that she reaches out is something that it's a small way of making sure that he's seen, he's heard, he's recognized. Even though they're not together in person, the fact that she's taking the time to go above and beyond and I think that's important. Like you have to maintain the relationships, whether you are virtual or in person, like the relationships we know we've talked, you know, at length before about how much of an impact that's going to make on students. And especially when we think about our students with learning and thinking differences, they typically tend to have that one person, right? That person that they like rely on and that person who like helps them out and, and does the remediation or does whatever they need. And so I would definitely encourage families to make sure that that's not because and especially in this day and age, like that can 100 percent happen remotely. It could be messages. It could be emails. It could be Zooms. Like there's so many ways to continue that connection. So I'm really glad that your kids are experiencing that because that is a huge piece of it. And then I think, you know, when we think about other challenges, if students with learning and thinking differences are home and are having to learn remotely, you know, I know families and I think it's both students with learning and thinking differences and all students, like there is this constant conversation about the gaps, right? And what are they missing? What are they not learning? How, if my student is already having a hard time and performing below grade level, like this this time where they're not in school or in person is going to put them back even further. We thankfully are in a time in history where like, technology is at its best, really. And so there's so much out there. And because kids nowadays are way more comfortable with online tools. There's ways in which they can get engaged through different types of games. Um, so if, you know, if, if families are out there worried about that gap and all of that, keep in mind that there's, there's a lot and like it's, and it's continuing to get better. Like we're, if, we're fine tuning a lot of these programs that have existed. Like if I think back, Julian, you'll remember this Khan Academy. Remember back in the day that was like Khan Academy was like the coolest thing ever because it was this online tool. And now that's like just one of like literally thousands of programs out there that students can independently or collectively in groups work through to increase. Yeah, but look, I'm going to push back a little bit. I'm the type that, you know, when, when I go to Acme or Giant or ShopRite and I walk through the cereal aisle and I see that there's like 15 types of Cheerios or if I try to go get myself some ketchup and they have organic ketchup and then they have barbecue flavored ketchup and sriracha flavored Heinz ketchup, too many choices make me a little bit anxious and well, right, that's but that's where the educators come into like I'm not saying you just give your kid, but I'm just saying like and I look, I am an educator, so are you, but it's still <laughs> really hard as a dad to to pick something to say, all right, there's like fifteen thousand apps out there for for they kids are. to use during this time, and it's too much like it, it's it's too much, so for me, I really gotta take some time to sit down. And my wife and I decide, all right, 
tomorrow, this is what the schedule is going to be. And we write it out on a little board and we go through with it with the kids in the morning, like at breakfast from seven to eight, we're doing this. And from eight 30 to nine, you're doing this. And from 10 to 12, you're doing this. And we pick the same apps, the same programs that we're going to do day to day to try to mirror what it would look like at school. And it helps alleviate some of that stress that comes with trying to pick all those different things. It should never be a free-for-all. And so it's about navigating those programs and feeling like you're not just being thrown out there. And I know some, I know, and it depends on the district, right? It depends on the school because some, some don't have that in place and families are scrambling to figure out what the heck they're doing. But I'm hoping that this isn't, this isn't March, 2020 anymore, right? It's January, 2022. So we've been at this for a while. So we should have been able to narrow it down. And it's still a very unique time in history that we have not lived through. You know, it's it's a unique situation, especially, you know, for parents. And for caregivers, really, and especially parents and caregivers of of kids of color, you know, because this hits differently, like everything does. It hits a little differently for, for us. And a lot of our students of color do not have that same privilege. Not to say that, you know, everybody across the country is in a dire situation, but whether they're in school and dealing with staff shortages and not having all the resources they need, whether they're virtual and they might have a difficult situation at home, whether they're dealing with the impact of systemic racism and how that all still hits. We can't forget that that's still a daily thing that impacts us all the time, financially, economically, socially, politically, um, all of that is to say that parents out there, you got to talk to your kids. Don't forget them in the equation. You know, talk to them. Ask them how they're feeling about things. Don't let them sit and deal with this and sit with it by themselves. No matter how young they are, no matter how old they are, you know, make sure that you're allowing them to voice how they're feeling. It makes a world of difference. And so, you know, whether you're a caretaker, whether you're a parent, whether you're a guardian, whether you have kids in your life or you don't, help the kids that are around to just know that they have somebody in their corner, somebody that is willing to listen to the concerns that they might have, and somebody that is open to comforting them trying to flip the script a little bit. This is an opportune time where we can take some time. Like education academics is forever going to be important. So is character. So is being a good person. So like this is an excellent time to reiterate that and to focus that on focus on that with our families and just take it take a take a step back a little bit. Like it's it's okay. It's going to be it's going to be okay. It is. It's going to be better than okay. We as a country are going to come out of this better than we were before. We really hope that this conversation opens up some things for everybody out there that's listening. And, you know, we're dealing with it just like you are, but optimism reigns supreme. So let's continue to stay that way. Keep pushing on. You're doing great. Keep doing great. This has been The Opportunity Gap, a part of the Understood Podcast Network. You can listen and subscribe to The Opportunity Gap on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found what you hear today valuable, please share the podcast. The Opportunity Gap is for you. We want to hear your voice.
go to u.org slash opportunity gap to find resources from every episode. That's the letter U as an understood dot O-R-G slash opportunity gap. Do you have something you'd like to say about the issues we discuss on this podcast? Email us at opportunitygap at understood.org. We'd love to share and react to your thoughts about the Opportunity Gap. As a nonprofit and social impact organization, Understood relies on the help of listeners like you to create podcasts like this one to reach and support more people in more places. We have an ambitious mission to shape the world for difference, and we welcome you to join us in achieving our goals. Learn more at understood.org slash mission. The Opportunity Gap is produced by Andrew Lee and Justin D. Wright, who also wrote our theme song. Laura Key is our editorial director at Understood. Scott Koshier is our creative director. Seth Melnick and Brianna Berry are our production directors. Thanks again for listening.